As we turn now in our Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter number 12, we are looking at the future of the remnant. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, one true, living, everlasting, eternal God, Guide your covenant people, merciful God. And may every man and every woman and every boy and every girl and child in the womb, out of the womb, yet to be conceived, may they be blessed of you. Oh, merciful God, may the grace of Jesus Christ be upon the remnant of your people. Reading now from the book of Revelation, and would you join me, please? I'd like to have the boys and girls with your Bibles open, join me, please. We are in Revelation 12. We're going to just look at the first two verses, and then we'll move on in a moment. Together. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. This congrega congregation knows that for 2,000 years, theologians and Christians of every denominational flavor have focused their eyes on the book of Revelation. More commentaries written on this book than any book in the Bible. And people are still reading this book today. They may have a little more understanding than previous generations, but not a lot. And no one has ever been able to say with significance and truth that they understand the book of Revelation. There's a lot of commentarians that would like you to believe they have, but I have news for them. This book is written in such a marvelous, inspirational way that I think God has preserved it for every generation to pour their eyes and hearts upon because I believe it's not in the Bible canon without very good reason. And just as an overall statement, I believe we would be very, very remiss if we ever had the idea lodged in our minds that the book of Revelation is a finished book and not necessary for our time in history. So I believe it's very relevant, but part of it has historically, it's behind us, no question. Part of it was unfolding at the time that it was being delivered, but there's a part of it that was destined for the generation that will witness the final end. That's my humble opinion. Not trying to 
ask anyone to share that. Let's look at the first two verses. This woman has been debated over time, but not seriously, because the Roman Catholic Church, they identify the woman as Mary, of course. There's no one that's a Bible reader that is going to deny Mary, the Virgin Mary's place in the Bible and in history. You would be foolish to do that. She has a place, but it's not the place the Roman Catholic Church gives her. No way. Absolutely not. But there's no question about the fact that this woman could be individually tied to verse number two, which would make her force the interpretation that Mary comes into focus. She's the birth of the child that we're talking about here. But there's another meaning of the word woman, and that is the collective body of Israel. God married one woman at Mount Sinai. God, at the end of the, t of the history of time, is going to marry that same woman that he divorced so long ago. Now, the evangelical denominational world believe that God is married to a multiracial Gentile bride called the church. And that he's going to bring this old discarded Old Testament woman back out of the closet. And he's going to He's going to give her a place. He's going to restore her. But his real love is that multiracial Gentile bride called the church. That's where the world, the church world is. Not all the church world, but a good part of it. The evangelical end of it for sure. So this woman collectively is Israel. And we know that the woman was clothed with the sun. That could represent a lot of things, including our Lord Jesus Christ. The moon under her feet could be Moses, the law. These are different interpretations that one could... You can just... See, the mystery of the book of Revelation is that no one has a corner on it. She has a crown of 12 stars. There were 12 apostles. We know that the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles fit into the story of the new Jerusalem at the end. Chapter 21. Now notice that she being with child cried and pain, travailing in birth, pain to be delivered. Now this verse has more than one application. Because I could turn to the Old Testament pro prophetic word and show where the woman, Israel collectively, is in pain to deliver 
a body of people that will witness the establishment of the kingdom. That's one interpretation, and it could be very valid because we could spend the rest of the morning in those Old Testament prophecies on the travail of the woman Israel at the end of the age trying to give birth to the kingdom. And that's the remnant struggling today. We want righteousness in the land. We seek men who would lead this country in godliness. And we just simply can't find them. She was with child and cried, travailing in birth. We remember the dream of Joseph. When young Joseph had the dreams of the sun, the moon, the stars, his brothers bowing down, that dream may very well fit into this. The Bible is a tapestry with many, many fabric threads weaved all together. And that's why you study the Bible all of the days of your life. In the last day you live, you're still a student of God's Word. So this woman's with child. She pains to be delivered. We mentioned Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 22 yesterday about the woman compassing a man, a seed. Isaiah 66 verse 7 all the way through verse 10. Isaiah 66 7 says in prophetic words by the prophet Isaiah that the woman in Isaiah 66, 7, gave birth to a child before the pain came, before she travailed, the child was born. I don't know, do you know any woman who gave birth to a child without a pain? The Virgin Mary did. The reason is because the child that she carried had no sin nature. Mary did, but that child was miraculously delivered from her womb just as miraculously as it was conceived in her womb. Before her pain, before she travailed, she gave birth. Read that in the Bible. Isaiah 66. Let's go to verse 3 and 4. Together, everybody, thank you, thank you, thank you. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, this is, this, this graphic language here. There is a red dragon 
seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns upon his head. Now this dragon is an interesting person. And it's interesting what commentarians have said about the dragon. I think the safe ground is to let the Bible interpret the Bible. And not run to a commentary. Just let the Bible interpret the Bible. So you merely have to drop down to verse 9. Look at verse 9. And the great dragon... And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. So again, the Bible interprets itself. The dragon is identified as that old serpent called the devil and Satan. So that's who he is. Now you'll notice in verse number four that he drew a third part of the stars and they did and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stands now, stood before this child ready to be delivered, ready to devour her child. When the wise men came to visit the child born to Mary in Bethlehem, there was an Idumean king, Herod, on the, on the throne. He was determined to kill the child that was to be born when that star appeared in the heavens and led the wise men to the manger where Jesus was. So we don't have any trouble knowing that Jesus is the child, and we don't have any trouble knowing who the dragon is, but what about the third part of the stars that were cast from the earth, cast to the earth? Now, again, here's a lot of speculative theology available. I only point out what I think might be appropriate, and that is, I will turn to the 14th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And I will read from Isaiah 14, and I will read these words, beginning at verse 12. Again, the words that I am reading on the part of some theologians would say this is past tense. Others will say, well, I'm not sure about that. So I'll let you be the, be the person that decides on your own. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to, the, to hell, 
to the sides of the pit. In one sweeping statement, the doom of Satan is announced. Revelation 20 verse 10 places him forever bound eternally in the chains of hell. That verse describes his end even during the time of his rebellion or if there is even another rebellion that he will launch. Who knows? Evil is cyclic. Many of these verses could be repetitiously repeated in history. When his tail drew the third part of the stars, the stars are symbolic of angels. One-third of the angelic host left their first estate. So what does the Bible tell us? May I read into the record from 2 Peter and from the book of Jude. Reading firstly from the book of Jude, may I read now from this marvelous book of Jude, and I'll read verse 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them like in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. Oh, the angels that left their first estate, in my humble opinion, are the one-third of the angelic hosts that Lucifer drew out of heaven with him. Now, are there other interruptions of the angels going on? We cannot be static in our thinking about angels. There is a war unfolding in heaven just as there is on earth. And that cosmic war that Tucker Carlson talked about is the real war that you and I need to be thinking about. Because the Bible warns us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Those are all ranks and hierarchies hierarchical rankings of angels that have fallen and that are part of this satanic cosmic world that is in opposition to the kingdom of God. They are attempting to prevent God's kingdom from coming into existence. Remember the first blood shed on this planet was when Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel because he represented the seed, not only of the Messiah, but he represented the future posterity of the seed that the, that the Messiah was going to come and save, spare, and rescue. And that... That trail of blood 
runs from, Revela from Genesis to Revelation and from Revelation to the very hour that you live in, it's called the trafficking of children. They are still murdering the children, still killing the children. That's why Americans today are not wise letting their children go very far out of their sight. Even when they're shopping, they can lose their children. So beware. The thirst for children never stops. This bloodthirsty crowd. So that, that third of heaven, that the third of the stars that were drawn from heaven, that's what we're talking about. Now notice that the dragon was ready to devour that child as soon as it was born. And that's exactly what the book, the book of uh, Matthew tells us in chapter 2 regarding Herod. But it's no less true today, people. Ask yourselves, how many Anglo-Saxon babies have been sacrificed at the altar of abortion? How many Anglo-Saxon babies have been aborted in private bedrooms of America? There is an endless war to destroy children. And that's why it's so urgent to get our children out of the public fool system. But let's read on. We are in verse number 5. She brought forth a man-child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to know who that is. There is only one person in all of history who has the power to rule all nations, godliness, righteousness, equity, and full justice, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The child was caught up into God and to his throne. What happened after Christ was crucified, resurrected, he bodily ascended up into heaven, caught up unto God. And what happened then to the woman? The, verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God and that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. That figures out to th if you have in biblical prophecy a year is 360 days. That is one biblical year. So we have in this prophecy a thousand two hundred and three score days is exactly 42 months of 30 days each, or it could be said it is three and a half years, and that is a prophetic time element that the woman is going to go through before the kingdom comes in. Now, there's different ways to look at this verse. 
You can measure 1260 as years. And you can fix a point of beginning and a point of ending. And a lot of commentarians have done this. And it could involve a lot of study. But if you look at Daniel 7.14, Revelation 13.5, Daniel 9.27, and Revelation 11.2 and 3, all of them come up with this 1260 days, three and a half years, or 42 months. Now, it is the opinion of a lot of people that the intensity of Jacob's trouble is a period of three and one-half years, and then at the end of that unprecedented tribulation, Christ will make His appearance. That's one interpretation. There are others. In any event, beloved, the woman is Israel, and the point we need to remember is that God loves this woman. And the greatest love story seldom told. The greatest love story never told. The greatest love story ever told is God's love for Israel. It's the greatest romance in human history. It's, there's nothing compared to it. You could pile all the Harley Quinn book novels about romance in one huge pile. They wouldn't touch God's love for His people. The Bible calls it an everlasting love. The love that God had for Israel, He said... As long as there's a sun, a moon, the stars, heaven and earth, day and night, I will never cease from being her husband, her God, her Savior. That's why you and I need to become serious about the future of the remnant. God will bring his remnant through the fire, not through the rapture. There'll be far more people ruptured than raptured. So don't look for the escape, the fire escape out of it. Noah was saved in the flood, not out of it. Daniel, Shack, Shack, uh, Daniel was saved in the lion's den, not out of it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved in the fiery furnace, not out of it. Israel will be delivered in the fire, not out of it. I believe, church, that we're headed into the most severe time of history that anyone has ever imagined that's living today or that has lived in American history. I don't think any generation faced what's coming our way. That is why you need to become a soldier of Christ the King. So let's look now at verse number 7. There was 
Join with me. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels. They prevail not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which devoureth the whole world. Whole world. Deceiveth the whole world. Deceived the whole world. I wonder if you were to deny his existence, if that wouldn't be the ultimate trip into deception. Think about it. Think about it, because some of the people you love as Israel believers believe he's non-existent. Was cast into the earth. His angels were cast out with him. Now, we have a theological problem here because one could interpret these verses based on the verse that we're going to read now in verse number 10. You could say that this is a future war that's going to be fought. And I heard a great, I heard a loud voice, verse 10, saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren, who is that? That's a great red dragon. Same one. Is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan has the liberty to go before God and accuse the remnant of being a a remnant of unbelievers. People of unbelief. Isn't that the story of Job? Job said to God, this man serves you only because you've blessed him with children and material blessing. Take him all away and he will curse you. That's why the book of Job needs to be read and studied. Has to do with the ongoing struggle in this cosmic world struggle that Tucker Carlson talked about. He knows a lot more than he's going to divulge. He wouldn't have any more podcast if he told everything he knew, probably. So, church, I'm not going to give you a final interpretation, but I believe there was a war in heaven in days gone by. And I don't doubt that there will be another war in heaven at the end. Because this cosmic battle does not end until till the end. And I mean, church, God is saving the best for the, for the last. So don't get, don't get nervous about your children that are being born. 
God wants every child that's being born to be born into his remnant family. And everyone is important. Every little girl, every little boy. So, I pray that we will think about this. Now, you'll notice Michael is the leader of God's angelic host. What if you don't believe in angels? A lot of people don't. The ancient Sadducees did not believe in angels either. But I pray that believers in the remnant of Israel will overcome the Sadducees that do not believe in angels. Skeptics do not believe in angels. So at this juncture, church, we need to remember the importance of the angels. And I'd like to just read from Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, for just a moment here. The book of Daniel, chapter number 12, verse 1, has a marvelous, marvelous statement in it that should hold everyone in this sanctuary captive for a moment, at least. Daniel 12, 1 says this, and I'll read it. <clears throat> Daniel's talking about the time of the end. And at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. That is trouble like nobody here has ever heard about. You know, that time of trouble describe, is described with blood to the horse's bridle. Get ready for a bloody mess. It'll be their blood or your blood. You better pray that Michael's on your side. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. Wow. Folks, listen. I've got my shoes on, but they ought to be off my feet. Thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book is your name in the Lamb's book of life. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, yes, when Christ comes, the dead in Christ will, will open their eyes. Some to everlasting life, some to everlasting shame. Interesting how everlasting is tied to eternity and everlasting is 
linked to contempt. I didn't write the Bible. Back to Revelation 12. So this great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Now, the reason that theologians tend to believe that this battle is going to be waged one more time here at least at the end is because Satan is cast out permanently. The accuser of the brethren can no longer ascend into the heavens at the end. He's shut out of there. And I probably need to read Revelation 20 and verse 10. The devil, I'm in Revelation 20, 10, that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night, day and night, Day and night, forever and ever. How long is forever and ever? So here's the satanic counterfeit trinity. The dragon, that's the devil. And the beast. And the false prophet. All three of those are angels. All three of them. The beast of Revelation 13 is an angel. He's one of those angels that fell, and he's a powerful one in his former estate. The false prophet is another one of those angels. Now again, commentarians are not all agreed on that, I can assure you. Nevertheless, the end result is the kingdom of God fills the earth. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And that kingdom shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and it shall stand forever and ever and ever. Daniel 2.44 And it's followed with this statement. And the saints of the Most High, saints of the Most High. Now think of the word saints. What is a saint? A saint is a justified Christian who then moves into a sanctified life. It's one thing to be justified. It's another to be sanctified. God doesn't want you just justified. He wants you sanctified. Then we can be called a saint. A saint is a sanctified Christian that's been justified. Now that's such an important point that I need to read something into the record on that before I pass it by. Oh my goodness. Theology is so involved. I'm reading from the record now. I'm in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 3, For this is the will of God. Whoop! Did that catch your attention? For this is the will of God. How many times does, does someone come up to Pastor Reed Benson and say, What do you think God's will for me in this is? Well, in terms of your life and how you live it, here it is. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. For sanctification is how you live your life. Are you living your life as a genuine, genuine, bona fide believer, or are you playing games with God? Back to Revelation. Verse 11. Verse 11 and 12 together. Thank you. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Self-explanatory. We know the Bible tells us in Revelation 6 that there are martyrs in the heaven under the altar crying out. And they're saying, how long, how long, O Lord Jehovah, will you take to avenge the blood of those who have been slain for the testimony of your word? But remember, people, there will be martyrs in every age. But remember, fear not them which can kill the body, help me, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to both kill the soul and the body and cast in to hell. Now where would that be found? Two witnesses, Matthew 10, 28, and Luke 12, 4 and 5. Verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Now that word woe means what? Doom, woe, judgment, woe. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Now, see, in verse 10, you've got to be very careful, because it, it seemed like that was the end of Satan. But now he's still operating for a short time. And when the dragon saw, I'm in verse 13, was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. So I'm asking the question. Mary lived and died quickly in that span of time that God allotted her. 
But Israel, the woman, lives on in every generation collectively. That's Israel. So that, who is chasing the woman? Who is after the woman? Look at down, look down at Revelation 12, verse 17. The dragon is wroth with the woman. Not after the Chinese woman. Not looking for the Muslim woman. He's looking for a people called Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Germanic, Scandinavian, Israel. The genocidal effort to kill the white race has been going on since Cain killed Abel. It's part of that enmity that was announced in Genesis 3.15. And we're now coming into the apex of that conflict of the ages. So the dragon is after the woman. He persecutes this woman that brought forth the little child that became the great Messiah, Savior of his people. To the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time, that's 360, and times, two times 360, and half a time, 180, totals 1260, 42 months, three and a half years, from the face of the serpent. Does verse number 14 remind you of what we read in the book of Exodus? When Moses went up unto God, Exodus 19, 3, And the Lord God called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, how he led them on eagles' wings. Eagles' wings. Now, we have that same God and Israel again being preserved and protected from the face of the serpent. And the serpent, verse 15, casts out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Look at verse 15, hard, look at it again. Think about where we are in history. The serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Beloved, I, knew, I do not know of any time in history that has witnessed 
the invasion of every white homeland in the Western world in the last 75 years. No white homeland under heaven has been able to escape the flood of the dragon. And as we sit here today, thousands of unwanted, unsolicited people from the prisons, the insane asylums, and the biological crud of the Latin American world is pouring into this land. We are in trouble, people. If one, if two words could be shouted across America, it would be, Wake up, America! And you believe that the greatest land invasion in history is underway. And millions of Americans are in la-la land. I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. Rhino Republicans in Vernon County don't want to be vetted because they don't want you to know what their private opinions are when they run for office. While Rome burned, Nero played his fiddle. I can't believe how asleep our people are. What does it take to wake up Anglo-Saxon America? Well, I got news for them. They're going to wake up one of these mornings. They're all going to wake up. The alarm clock is going to sound. I mean, when that alarm goes off that God turns on, the only problem, church, it'll be too late. Too late. And they'll be looking at the face of the beast that will be standing over them to slit their throat. Because they were lost in the world of mammon, money, and the love of money and all that it buys. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Now, you know, everyone in this congregation ought to pray that that would be an earthquake so gigantic that the West Coast would disappear in the Atlantic Ocean. That the American Southwest would have a plague. That the inner cities, the ghettos, would experience a plague. I don't know what that verse really means. It's open for speculation. But I certainly like to read it. It's comforting. It's comforting. And the earth helped the woman. Maybe the climate 
changers will have their day when they try to explain earthquakes swallowing huge populations. I don't know how God is going to do all this, folks. But you're going to witness the greatest fireworks that any human mind could ever imagine if you are living when the end comes. Now, I know that for 2,000 years people have been saying we are in the last days. But I do believe we're in the beginning of the last days. I'm going to rephrase that. We're at the beginning of the beginning of the last days. Because never in human history has, has the technology been available to produce a facial image of every living person. Never in human history has there been a technological tracking system that knows where you are every minute of every day of every month that you live if you have a cell phone. And never has there been a day when there was a universal genocidal assault to destroy the last white man, woman, and child on planet Earth. Is it any wonder why the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the, as the manner of some is, and even the more so as you see the day, the day, the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 25, and I think we all know what that day is. Yeah. So that brings us to verse 17. Finally, to the end. And the dragon is wroth with the woman. He went to make war with the remnant of her seed. He hates every person born with white skin. But his war is with the remnant. Why? Why is the serpent's war with the remnant? Because they keep the commandments and have the testimony. The commandments and the testimony. Church, if you were an advocate pleading for the remnant today, you would plead for them to flee to the Lord Jesus Christ to keep His commandments and live a life separated from this thundering, unwashed herd that are going to be baptized in fire without a baptism of water and spirit. So this dragon is out to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's the only way that you identify the remnant. I don't know of any other way to identify the remnant. 
those that have the testimony and, the, and are, we'll say it's the testimony of Jesus Christ. You believe in the incarnate God who came down to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. You believe that he lived, he performed miracles, wonders, was rejected by his own people who said, crucify him. And he was impaled on a cross, rejected by his own people. Fledgling little hand of people believed in Jesus at the end. His mother, Mary, Mary Magdalene, John the Apostle, and a select few others were at the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. But that Savior that was crucified, dead, and buried rose from the tomb. He bodily ascended into heaven 40 days after the resurrection with the promise, with the promise that the very spot that he ascended from, he would return back to, the Mount of Olives. If you turned on the news this morning, all kinds of fireworks is breaking out in that part of the world today. So now we're, we're a remnant family here. We join other remnant families and people all across the world. There are remnant, God-fearing, Bible-believing, blood-washed, spirit-filled, believing Israelites in every nation on earth. Believe you me, there are th they are there. And God knows them. He's numbered them. He knows where they are. But our duty, our duty, the future of the remnant is one in which God will deliver his people. Will he deliver everyone? Probably not, because there's going to be martyrs. There will be martyrs. Carve it in stone. We're in the battle of the ages. But you should not fear. Perfect love casteth out fear. Because love hath torment. Perfect love has no torment. God loves you. And God will protect and preserve you and your children. So that means, church, in conclusion, the only way that I know for us to live and survive, unless we want paddled like that little child, <laughs> is to hear the voice of our God. Come out of Babylon into God's truth, His kingdom.
Now, at the beginning of this festival, we passed out a paper called Building a Parallel Culture. Building a Parallel Culture. I believe it's what the remnant needs to do. Build a subculture, a parallel culture, and come out of Babylon in ways that we can. Separation. Then we passed out a sheet that says, Ten Commandments for Building a Parallel Culture. These were all placed at the back. Very few of them were taken. Not unexpected. Ten Commandments for Building a Parallel Culture. The reverse side has another set of Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments for survival in a parallel culture. Those are the real questions. And then we passed out, finally, another paper that gave the reasons why if we fail to build a, pa a parallel culture, our children will be the losers. Shall we be standing?